Welcome to another episode of We Are Carbon. I'm Helen Fisher and I'm joined by Peter Lungard, regenerative farmer and consultant in Alberta, Canada. Throughout the episodes on this podcast, the topics have been varied, but they've also continually highlighted the value and significance of our soils here on Earth. Not only have we learned of soils' ability to capture and hold on to carbon, but also how this assists in stabilising microclimates, building resilience through holding on to water and supporting communities of microbes, which further support the climate by assisting plants to grow and thrive. The whole thing is both perpetual and interconnected. Each aspect couldn't thrive in the absence of the others. They are a system, an ecosystem. We've also considered how this system of growth can support our needs as a society. Providing food, bioplastics, construction materials, textiles, fuel, medicine, pretty much anything that we need. We can be self-sustaining when we manage things holistically. But to think and work in a whole system way is so very different to what we're used to. Though the potential to provide for our needs and regulate the climate at the same time offers an enormous motivation to get our heads around this. Farmers who can lead the way in this area should be put in the spotlight right now. And it is an absolute gift that Peter has offered to share his knowledge from several decades of experience with us. An early adopter of the work of Alan Savory and incorporating wisdom from indigenous communities along with the work of William Albrecht and others. Since the late 80s, Peter has built a now thriving farm that has gained economic stability through first building ecological stability. His own 12-step programme draws together influences from both study and practice to help others to navigate the approach of holistic management. He talks us through each of these steps. There's a lot of information, so we skirt through some, but do let me know if there's anything here that you'd like to be covered in greater depth. You can keep up to date with everything from We Are Carbon by subscribing over on the website, wearecarbon.earth, or find us on Instagram, at wearecarbon.earth. Right, let's get stuck in. Hi, Peter. I wanted to um, introduce you to everybody before we get into the actual chat. So you started um, previous to your work that we're going to discuss today in regenerative agriculture. You had more of an industrial uh, farming background. So how did you get into the new way um, that you do the process today? I, I guess I have to give a little background. Uh, I was uh, born and raised on a farm in northwestern Alberta in Canada in the uh, 1960s. And, uh, and then in the 70s, I was decided to go uh, into uh, farming as a career. When I grew up on the farm, it was more or less traditional type agricultural practices, uh, mixed farm. And uh, as I uh, decided to make a career of it, I, I went to college at the agricultural college uh, in, the, in our community. And uh, I studied agriculture and the, the, it was more or less uh, a different, it was a more of a industrial type agricultural programs that they were teaching there. So I, but I, I was fortunate enough to have some um, old school instructors. So I, they were very beneficial to my uh, career. And so, um, and I still have a mentor that one of them is, uh, I still, 
seek advice from him to this day. He's getting, he's getting uh, up there in years, but anyways, I was very fortunate to have that. And, uh, and we started uh, in the mid 19 or late 1970s in farming. And, uh, and then my uh, wife joined me in the early eighties for about 10 years, we were um, maybe trapped or stuck into this uh, system of uh, agriculture production system. And, uh, so as it went, we, we joined into that and we invested heavily and financed a farm and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, then in the, about 10 years later, everything went uh, uh, backwards on us and, and south on us. And we, the interest rates went as high as 28% and, uh, per annum. And the, so, we've, so we just abruptly lost our farm one day. And so we had to start all over again in 1988. And so... With a young family, um, we we started um, a new farm, and uh, we were able to uh, lease some land and with a rental purchase a, a, a arrangement, and then and um, and so we decided then to take a different approach to agriculture. Uh, the approach was uh, more of a traditional agricultural uh, system that I grew up with as a young child, and it was a little bit of. Um, chaotic because we had to start over with nothing and we were kind of uh, breaking new ground then so to speak because a lot of that old traditional practices have been become kind of um, went by the wayside and so but we were very lucky in the early uh, 1990s um, to um, get onto a, um, a model of a decision making model which is called holistic management today so it helped us tremendously to set us on a new direction and um, into the regenerative uh, agricultural system that we've kind of developed over our career. And uh, so this, so what I'm going to share with you is just my, my experience as a farmer um, and through the decades and, and, um, and how, how, how we, we got to where we are today with the regenerative agriculture. Yeah. Fantastic. So the reason that you got into it was financial as much as to um, have the environmental benefit. It actually, from a business model point of view, it had failed you, the standard approach. Yeah, the uh, the late 70s, early 80s is when um, there was quite a quite a bit of change happening in the agricultural uh, systems. Uh, a lot of the, the sm uh, farms were um, getting bigger and bigger and a lot of the smaller farms kept uh, disappearing. And so the, uh, and so w I guess we were kind of, um, that system uh, wouldn't work for us. And uh, it, it uh, based on, on um, you know, our size and, and, and whatnot. So it just, it, 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 that system kind of failed. And so then we, that's why we seek to, seeked out a, 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 a different approach and, I felt that it was if we go back to back to the some of the tr more traditional practices that we did as I grew up when I was growing up that uh, that uh, of course uh, those were seen as um, being backwards maybe at the time or because there was a lot of um, a lot of push or a lot of advertisements and a lot of um, for this new type of agricultural system which we which we see a lot of a lot of today. Yeah. So it's completely at odds with the the training and the the, the modern approach. You've you've kind of gone back in time, and took a gamble a little bit. Yes, and uh, 
we just started to think about things a little deeper and and for a few years we struggled my uh, my wife was with me then she came on in in the early 80s and we started raising our family and i think it was 1988 is when they um from 1978 i started uh, buying land and started farming and then 10 years later i was i i lost everything and so then we decided to um uh, start over again and so that's what we did so we thought well let's try to take a different approach so it wasn't until uh, that was in 1988 and it wasn't until we struggled for a few years and then 1992 is when we uh, got onto um, uh, the de- uh, holistic management decision making model and and then actually then we haven't really looked back it's just been great so you you uh, put your face in the holistic management model how did you come across that uh, just i guess it would, at the time it was um, early 1992 i believe it was and uh, and it there was um, this group that was organizing these um, courses so and i i decided it sounded what uh, might fit just perfect for what we wanted to do and and or what i was looking at doing uh, to be honest i didn't really I didn't understand it to, uh, you know, I didn't understand it until we studied it, but um, the, it sounded like that was the tool we needed to take us in, you know, to help us make uh, better decisions. And so we, we started studying it. And then, of course, we haven't quit studying it. So it's yeah. just, uh, it, it must have worked well because it's, um, you know, all these decades later, you're, you're actually yeah. based um, your own consultancy on it. So it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's proof really in, the effect um the success of it it's it's doing a marvelous job for you and this is um even all these years later we're still from a mainstream point of view we're overlooking the holistic approach aren't we yeah you're right it's 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 a slow uh, not many people it's not uh, as have taken it up there's the, the ones that have made you know significant changes in their the ecological and eco, uh, economical beings um, of their of their farms, and I guess that's why we keep uh, uh, trying to teach people and trying to pass on some of the things that we've gained to try to expand that knowledge. and And so, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I guess um, uh, the 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 holistic mon- management model is based on uh, uh, a value driven uh, decision making process rather than just straight production uh, based uh, vision process so and so it's got a more of a maybe a, um, a, a longer term type vision to it yeah absolutely I think anything that we we take a holistic view of whether that you're not got that black and white direct connection between um, the action that you're inputting and that direct okay it's going to have this output we um, like if we think of our own personal health holistically, um, you, you, you're not looking at the symptom and kind of trying to numb it. You're, you're looking at the bigger picture. So it's not something that, like you just said, it's a more long-term thought process. What kind of scale, um, what type of scale farm does it suit? Can it be micro and, and really huge or is it a particular um, size that it suits best? Well, holistic management model can it's 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 a it's a decision making process and it can be applied to to any anything. So it can be uh, it's it's not any any uh, it's not just agriculture. It can be applied to businesses or or just uh, just in your 
life in general. So, so anyways, uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. It but does, yeah. It's, um, it basically, this is not, we're not talking about something specific. We're talking about a mindset. We're talking about um, a rule set, if you like, and you've called it a program, a 12-step program for your own particular variant. You're teaching this to um, other farmers. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So I think the first one I've got this written down is become highly effective. And this is something that certainly um, is one of the steps that in particular we can apply for um, anything that we do, anything at all. But if you want to just briefly go through how that one looks. Yeah, this step number one is become uh, highly effective. And I guess we've, we've studied that with... Um, Stephen Covey was one of the people that wrote a book on that, but we've also taken some of the uh, the knowledge from the indigenous uh, community. This, the seven steps there is uh, be uh, being proactive and, uh, and beginning with the end in mind and putting first things first and uh, thinking win-win and then seeking to understand and then be understood and and uh, recognizing the other another step is recognizing the synergism um, with one plus one is greater than two and uh, then the the uh, final one is the uh, which uh, to become highly effective is to um, become uh, stronger with your physical uh, mental uh, emotional and spiritual being and um, so that's number one, uh, those uh, seven steps to, to become highly effective. Yeah, and that sounds, um, you know, there, there's seven steps in there. So there's a whole lot of um, value to be explored within that one step alone. But I think for now, if we um, work through these so we can just give a picture of the 12, that, that first step, it becomes very clear that we're talking about a practice that's of a very different point of view to what you would expect to learn if you went to college and learned about industrial agriculture. We're already setting a picture here of something entirely different in its approach. This is correct. Yeah, this is, uh, and keep in mind that this is what I've experienced in my farming career. So, you know, and I just um, thought this should be shared and uh, this is what I, I try to teach people. So. I, we can go on to number two whenever you feel comfortable. Yeah, I think uh, number two, um, it sort of ties everything into what we've we've already mentioned. Yes. Number two is the holistic decision-making model. And so that's the course that we've taken in the early 1990s and, and, uh, and, 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 pra and put into practice. And, and we still keep learning how to in incorporate that. Of course, we keep learning with step one, two, to be highly effective it's very hard to do some of these things, but the most important thing is um, that you're aware of them. And so you keep trying to work at those things and always keep them in mind when you're doing, when you're doing things. So, but they're not easy. They, they, like they're, if you go through them seven steps and, and, and through the holistic model, it's, it's sometimes becomes hard, hard to do these things, but uh, at least you're uh, aware of them and trying to do them. I always say, uh, an inch ahead is better than um, going and going backwards or not going moving at all. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we don't have the full answer, but at least we're pushing in the right direction. 
Yeah. And, um, yeah. 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 So the holistic decision making, number two, how does that look like in practice? Well, I always go through it quickly with people like um, the um, there's a you have a goal as a three part goal. That's what you, you value in life and then forms of production. You establish who the people are and what resources you have. And so they sit down and and develop that uh, three part goal. Then there's seven testing guidelines that we we use to test a decision or action against that that three-part goal that we've developed as a group then uh, the seven testing guidelines are um, they come into play um, and one of the ones that are very important to us is the what if uh, what effect does this decision or action have on the ecosystem and the ecosystem uh, there's four uh, pillars to a healthy ecosystem uh, is a water cycle mineral cycle sun's energy flow and then the dynamics are of the community uh, if you increase the dynamics uh, uh, in the community then you help out the other three um, blocks uh, or vice versa if you help out any one of those four pillars that you're going to and uh, any you're going to enhance the other three uh, and it seems if you same goes if you degress any one of the one of those four pillars you're going to affect the other three so that's a that's really the cornerstone or the building blocks of, of the um, regenerative agriculture is that is to focus on that in particular and then of course uh, the other test so every time you do a, a plan or, or do an action or make a decision then you test it to say how is it affecting those ecosystem blocks and of course then then you put a lot of thought into it and how to enhance them and so that's that's been um, the, re- the really great tool that we've had on our farm and then of course um, the other one that's really uh, had a huge impact on my life was uh, cause and effect you, you look for the root cause of the problem rather than just dealing with sim and so that that one in, in itself is it's taken me from the, uh, the how the animals are doing to to um, how the plants are doing because I'm looking for the root cause of the problem and then and then I go plants down to the soil and then from the soil I go through the uh, still looking deeper I look for the um, into the science of soil and its chemistry and physics and biology and and uh, so I so I keep looking at those and and that's what's taken me down to the soil sciences and um, studying studying soil chemistry and soil biology and so, and it all starts from that one simple testing guideline, cause and effect. And so, um, those two have been really, um, th- those two testing guidelines have made such a difference in, in the way we've developed our, our career, of our farming career, how, it, how, it's, how it's developed for us over the years. And um, so, that's just two of the seven. Yeah, you can feel here, it's, there's so much information. It's, um, it, it's, uh... Already, I think that what you're demonstrating, that there's a clear point here that says um, we can't just look at the surface. We've got to go deeper if we want to understand how to be regenerative, how to be sustainable and how to be healthy. And clearly your model is taking account that the ecosystem itself has value, that the um, cause and effect 
of the soil life is contributing to the health of the animal and ultimately also to the nutritional value of the food. Because we hear today, um, I, I hear this a lot where we were sort of demonizing certain food types as whether this is unhealthy or this is healthy. And I think that that's taken away from the holistic effect you're talking about where actually you're considering the food that you end up with at the end of the story it's actually contributed to along the full journey and you end up with a different product essentially exactly uh i never mentioned the like the people component of it the food it, it's that's the that's the end goal that's good and it all comes from the soil and and uh so to have healthy people we have to really have healthy soil and the point here is uh, the the decision making model makes us more aware of that and you know why why is people's health deteriorating and um, so one of the main reasons for that is the food that they're eating and and the food that they're eating is is um, the nutrient density of it is uh, I mean we study uh, traditional diets and what the works of say Weston A Price and and people uh, of that uh, and uh, William Albrecht they they've identified that the nutritional value of the of the food is basically defines how the the society the the group the people uh, how healthy they are and and of course that and the, then the work of William Albrecht takes it right down into the soil and the sciences of the soil and so that one I've really it's really taken me a long uh, taken me a long ways just that one testing guideline yes I can see this it's um it's demonstrating that the meaning of holistic management to us because it's saying we look at the big picture we don't go symptom solution we we have to look at um everything as though it is connected to many many steps along the web um and that's 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 beautiful um i i I really think that this is um you know this is at the crux of what people need to understand is that food and nutrition and health are interconnected and also that can't be separated from the way that we farm, the way that we treat the environment, the um, whole ecological system is connected. And when we look at it holistically, then we can really appreciate why that is. And that brings us to um, the soil ultimately. And that is number three on your list is um, mineral balanced soils. Yes, uh, as I uh, went down my farming <laughs> career uh, journey with that holistic management model I, it took me deeper and deeper and it, it made me more aware and made me more curious to what what what's going on and why and so, and so that took took me right into the soil and this into the soil biology and physics and chemistry and so then I really started studying um, the works of William Albrecht he, he uh, identified the uh, soil, the soil chemistry, how it affected the soil biology, and how that ultimately affected the soil. Uh, both of those things affected the soil, the physical structure of the soil. So I, that's why I put that one as as number three, with a balanced uh, mineral balanced soil. You you have the mineral balance for the plant growth, and then the plant material is going to be nutrient dense, and so the, the livestock and ultimately the uh, uh, the people eating that food so 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 that's that's number three that's um and it's it's very very uh, um 
crucial and important, especially with when regenerative agriculture, I also focus on the ecological and economical um, aspects of it. And so that that mineral balanced soil, I can't say enough about it. is it something that is um, drastically at odds if we go the industrial agricultural route? Do you see something in the soil, um, within the minerals itself, within the composition of the soil? Is that impacted by, say, fertilizers and plowing? Yes, the industrialized agricultural model, uh, or whatever we want to we want to term it as, this monocultural cropping systems and whatnot, and marketing systems that we've that have developed over the last five decades or so. Um, they, yeah, they. From what I, my experience is, I've got some uh, pictures of of soil that where the old fence lines were, and uh, that they've, they've taken out the old fence line that had been in there for, you know, maybe sixty years, and and worked it up to move the fence line because the property line was out, and it's the soil is just dark black or dark dark color, and and right beside it just white color. So it's the carbon is gone. And uh, so we we uh, this model has been uh, um, uh, mining of carbon uh, basically, and and so we have to replenish that carbon, and we have to, um, and in order to replenish that carbon, it it goes back to plant growth, and and that's down some of the other steps, but ultimately um, we have to the mineral balancing that soil becomes very crucial to get that process back in working again for us, and this other monoculture cropping and and just um and then uh, harvesting crops year after year and and some of the soils aren't aren't um, well suited for that neither so we see a lot of that happening in our in our region in our province in our countries in our country or that a lot of this the soils aren't they're not deep soils and they're not rich in carbon and so they're there doesn't take long to deplete them and they're not bal- mineral balanced to start with for the most part so so this is um, it's having quite a bad effect on it on our soil and we see lots of soil erosion and i notice people don't stop and really take into account um, the the value of that soil that's been eroded and uh, a lot of this is due to uh, annual monoculture cropping and the use of high use of uh, commercial type fertilizers and etc so from what i see that is um, it's not very sustainable and so that's 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 why I uh, really uh, focus more and t- go down the, the path of regenerative agriculture. Yeah, absolutely. And if we um, just kind of put that holistic point of view on this um, eroded soil, could we connect that with other issues that are besides food that are, uh, you know, like flooding and this type of thing where the water itself is... Um, penetrating differently because of how the soils have depleted. Oh yes, uh, like uh, carbon. When you when you lose the carbon in your soil, the carbon is the it, that's really the one of the main things that holds on to that the uh, the water. And it's not only that; it's the uh, when you start building soil structure uh, with regenerative principles uh, practices. Um, then you get tremendous water holding capacity capability. So some of the things, the other steps that we we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. we focus on those steps in order to to um, alleviate that problem of, of water and soil erosion. They're very important, and uh, that's why we've I've included them 
And a lot of people are starting to adopt those principles, and uh, which is great because um, and we, as we go further through the 12 steps, you'll see how that comes into play. Fantastic. So number four, we've got create diverse ecosystems. And this, I think, is, you know, it, it speaks worlds of how you're taking an approach that is respectful and valuing of the whole and of nature itself. And is that um, that's not just to be kind to nature. This is because it's adding value to the farming practice as well. Yes. Creating diverse ecosystems is actually goes back to one of the testing guidelines that I mentioned earlier. The foundation blocks of a healthy ecosystem is the water cycle, mineral cycle, uh, sun's energy flow to trap capture sun's energy uh, through with the photosynthesis and and creating and creating biomass and and then um, and in, and in, and uh, and also creating diversity in the species so that is truly what builds a, um, a healthy ecosystem so that that's why it becomes so important like um, it's sort of the um, one of the steps of the foundation blocks of a healthy ecosystem diversity and people uh, don't maybe don't see the the benefits of it and uh, when you add a, a, a new species uh, into the ecosystem how it's going to affect their blocks so that's so important so and a good example of that is just by adding livestock to your farm, in generally cattle, because cattle are one of the most easily used tools that are available to us. Of course, there are sheep and other ruminant animals, type animals, but uh, the cattle are the, in our, the biggest part of it. So just by adding those into, into your farming operation, you've, you've just totally changed the whole ecosystem around. And it's, it's just, in, I see it time and time again, and of course, uh, when I grew up as as a child, and we that was all always part of the. Uh, that's something that was uh, that we'd lost sight of, and so we're just. I'm just trying to re- say, let's focus on that. And so, and through the twelve step program, like create diverse ecosystems. The main ideas there to uh, create a diverse ecosystem with plant species and animal species. Yeah. Which essentially, I suppose, is going to have then diversity of insects, um, different pollinators, different um, pest um, balance within the ecosystem too. Is that right? Exactly. Like, uh, you know, we've part of our farming operation is livestock, cattle. And uh, and we, we've over the years, we've raised uh, sheep and hogs and but uh, also leafcutter bees, uh, we raise the leafcutter bee and that's a special bee that's just used for pollination and it's not for honey production. So, and so the more species you have, just the more, you, the more, uh, the better your ecosystem becomes. And, and something that's really important in that, in, and when you have a healthy ecosystem, it adds stability to your production and also profitability. Uh, so that's, that's, I can't say, stress that enough that, um, profitability is so important and um, adding diversity to your into your farm operation ecosystem creates that creates profitability and stability and profitability so with that diversity you take away a lot of the risk in the, in uh, in farming so because in farming there's a lot of risk you have a lot of risk with weather and, and um, particular weather and and issues that we'll talk about later but um, the more 
diverse your ecosystem is, the more stable it becomes, and more and the more st- with stability becomes profitability. So, so that's one of the uh, ways to eliminate uh, uh, risk is to create diversity in the ecosystem. So, and of course that goes right back to the holistic model that we always keep looking at our ecosystem. So, it's been a great one. So I think that's why it's number four. Yeah, it's there. It's kind of the absolute um, opposite of what we see with monocultures then. So a monoculture is saying, well, we'll take a simple approach and we'll just do the same thing over acre, 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 acre of one crop. And ultimately, that must be the least diverse option we could have, which is why it isn't resilient, I suppose. That must be quite, um, it needs the inputs to control pests. And it's going to have a serious impact by an extreme weather event, this kind of thing. Is this where the diversity assists? Exactly. Uh, with simplicity, like a monoculture cropping, um, it, it becomes more higher risk. Uh, one early frost can wipe your whole crop out. That system becomes very unstable. And of course, that's why they have to have so all these... Uh, prop up programs and 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 you know to keep that system going because it's really uh, lacks diversity and it's it's um, and it's very un- unstable and it becomes very unprofitable because one uh, frost or one uh, weather event can pretty well ruin your financial pick for the whole year and ultimately for the whole farming career in some cases you're not actually using each one of these as a profit marker. You're not saying, well, we're going to put in the bees to create honey. But at the end of the day, you're saying that by being diverse, even though it's indirect, it is keeping a stable and increasing profit as the outcome. Yeah, exactly. Because like some of the, some of the species might be uh, na- native species that come into your farm and, and you're not going to be marketing them as safe per se like uh could be alive it could be an animal species or a plant species but uh just by them being on your farm uh it uh, creates um adds diversity and 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 of course then the crops that the crops that uh livestock that you might be going to harvest to market uh is is enhanced so yeah it's just not necessarily something that you're going to be marketing um it's there to enhance the products that you are going to market and so a lot of times um, we have to focus we we can't we try not to focus on the the invasive species per se we just focus on on the one that we're targeting and try to enhance it that's one of the testing guidelines is a weak link and there's three parts to the to the weak link and one of them is solar the solar chain and and photosynthesizing sun's energy and um, and then converting it to something and marketing it and ending up with a solar dollar and then there's the other aspect of that the human one of uh, if if um, if you if your people have a problem or something that's that, that's you got to address that as a weak link area but there's another one and the reason i'm talking about it is the biological weak link and so um, when we have a, a undesirable species then we try to discredit it or or at, at its weakest point in, in, in its in its life cycle, and the uh, species that we want to enhance or encourage, then we nurture them at their weakest point in their life cycle, and and so that's some of the uh, the ways that you can deal with 
um, more, you know, undesirable species in your ecosystem. Okay, so one more thing, just on the ecosystem side of things, coming back to the cattle, you you described them as, um, I don't know if you used the word tool, but they're essentially, they're, they're acting as a job, a helping to grow the ecosystem, which um, I find quite interesting. It's like you're using the the natural instincts and activity of the animal to serve the land and to become part of the whole. That's exactly, that's exactly it. So the tool then becomes, the, the cow becomes the tool to harvest the grass. And the, and of course, that's part of the, um, the solar chain. Like when we go back to the, uh, the foundation blocks of the ecosystem, uh, you've got mineral cycle, um, water cycle diversity and the succession, whether you take it to advanced succession or digress succession in your diversity of your ecosystem. But the other one in there, the other, the fourth one is the, the solar chain, the sun's energy. Uh, and so we're trying to capture the sun's energy through photosynthesis with plant material. That's an energy conversion from the sun to the plant. And then you have to have a product conversion. You have to convert that plant into a product that you can market. And so either by harvesting with a machine or with an, uh, an, a livestock or an animal, then you get a product and uh, that product might be in the form of protein from the, the animal you've just, the cow in that case, and then you can market that. And, and that's part of the solar chain, the marketing, and then you get a solar dollar and then you, that solar dollar, you either um, spend it in some way that enhances your quality of life or you reinvest it. And so that, that's part of the whole chain. And so the cow then becomes a tool to, to, um, do your product conversion and so i always tell people that the least number of cows you have to get the job done the better off you are so you use your tools wisely and so um, the ultimate goal is to end up with that solar dollar and in the process you build stability uh, adds add to your ecosystem foundation blocks because the more you add to them uh, the better it gets and the more productivity you're going to have and the more solar dollars you're going to have to put towards reinvestment or to put towards your what you want as a quality of life yeah so we have um we've we've got a system that has become normal where we've got a field full of one crop and then we've got what has become quite problematic which is livestock kept in um quite unsatisfactory conditions and they are, you know, we hear a lot about the negative impact of cows and the farming where they're in um, feedlots. So what you're doing with the holistic model is integrating the meat production back into the land itself and making the animal a benefit to the ecosystem, as opposed to that separating things out where then you've got two negative situations. Exactly. Yeah. So the feedlot system is kind of a, a part of the industrial as agriculture model is because you're growing monoculture crops and you're feeding it to livestock. And, and uh, usually it's in the form of grains and like in the U S it's been corn and Canada's used to, you know, barley or wheat or whatever, but, uh, and, but the cow is the cattle itself is a, they're, they're ruminant animals. So they, they take uh, cellulose materials into the, into the rumen and the micro microbiology breaks that down and, and eventually turns it into into uh, protein and and uh, so that 
that's the natural system and and uh, that that's part of the that adds to the ecosystem and, and the the way it was before we had cattle on this land it, there was bison and buffalo and uh, the indigenous people had you know they they harvested bison and buffalo and the grasslands were tremendous and and so that they were just part of the system and so the cattle are just part of the system so the uh, ecosystem will deteriorate if you take uh, livestock out of a, a grassland scenario. So they literally are working the land. They're, they are a tool and they belong there. Yes, exactly. If like uh, We learned from Alan Savory that there, there's a, there's a different... Uh, he, he put the ecosystems on a scale of, like, I think 1 to 10, and the brittleness of the ecosystem, like a rainforest is, is uh, high and a, and a desert is, like, low. And the reason the desert is, like, low is because it's hot and dry. It doesn't get very much rain. So in a rainforest area they get lots of rain and so rainforests generally have very very shallow topsoil because all the microbiological activities happening on top because it's it's uh, moist and uh, and uh, warm but in the in the prairie lands and where the grasslands are it's it's hot and dry so uh, it all boils down to microbiology Uh, there has to be a microbe to break down that plant material so that's why the ruminants become so important uh, because the rumen is a great big uh, bag and it's full of uh, microbes. So the, the uh, ruminants put the grass in the bag and the microbes are in the bag. Microbes would survive in a hot, hot, dry environment if it wasn't for that ruminant to be packing them around in that big rumen. And so, so it's just another way that nature has uh, been able to break down plant material and, and recycle it is with the, so they become very important. You have to have these ruminants when you got grassland scenarios. And of course, uh, the ruminants are self-sustaining and they look after themselves. And, and uh, for the most part, whereas um, if you have to grow crops and on that land and, and sell and go through all them inputs and with the fuel and the fertilizers and the chemicals and the, machinery and the money that it takes to, to uh, do all that stuff, then uh, uh, to grow c- corn and then turn around, or corn and wheat and then just turn around and feed it to livestock. It actually is nonsensical. It's, it's, it doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. Yeah. But the, the natural way does make sense. And, of course, um, the, you know, the ruminants get a bad rap for methane release, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, in a natural ecosystem, uh, the... Uh, like breaking down plant material cellulose there's very little methane released and uh, and of course there's there's a lot more carbon sink, sinking and we're going to discuss that later but just by the fact grasslands and and you won't have grasslands uh without a ruminant because um the the grass has to be harvested to for so the sunlight can get to the growing points uh otherwise it'll just die and so ruminants are very if without ruminants in a grassland you won't have a grassland, but they've become a tool uh, to build our ecosystem, to, uh, harvesting the grass, uh, part of the uh, solar chain um, uh, conversion. They're the product. They're the main tool for product conversion. Fantastic. So, um, okay, let's go. We've got number five: intensive plant cover management. Intensive plant cover management. It means to to create that uh, energy conversion. Uh, sun's energy conversion you need a lot of 
uh, plant material to, they're all photocells, like the plants just photocells cap uh, capturing sun's energy and converting it to uh, uh, plant material. And so I, we look at um, our, our land maybe as, as being a big, uh, a big gigantic uh, solar panel and um, the plants on it are the, uh, are the, the cell of the photocells that like in a solar panel, you'd have uh, uh, photocells in a solar panel ca uh, capturing sun's energy photons converting to uh, electricity. Whereas the, the plant material is uh, your, your land is your big, big solar panel and your, your plants are your photocells and capturing sun's energy. So you, you just want to have lots of those. Yeah, which sounds, it's a very beautiful um, explanation because what you're saying is regenerative agriculture, it's actually, it's taking solar panel and create, so, solar power, sorry, and creating food. And we could say by contrast, um, industrial agriculture or the opposite, it's taking fossil fuels to create food. And this is, um, in many ways, it's why it's sustainable from um a petroleum point of view as well as from a regenerative um, environment point of view. Yes, uh, that's correct. And of course, um, back and when you bring that up too, like we never went through the testing guidelines uh, fully. We just touched on them. But there again, that, that's, that's one of the test seven, seven testing guidelines in, in the decision-making model is uh, the energy source and, and uh, use. And, uh, and, and the other part of that is uh, the money, the source and the use. And so the, when we talk about source and use, uh, when it comes to energy, we say, is the, is the energy coming from a fossil fuel or is it coming from a, a, a solar powered energy source? And how, how often does it, is it used or is it, is it consumptive or non-consumptive? And so the worst case scenario in that is having fossil fuel uh, being consumed, uh, being consumptive. So your fossil fuel, you're burning lots of diesel fuel and you keep doing it more over and over again. And so it's very consumptive. That's a fail. And so we, we to do that. And then, so, but fossil fuel, non-consumptive by using it uh, once in a while, that probably would be a pass. But then when you come to solar usage, um, consumptive solar unit usage would probably be a pass, but we let's look at better ways to do it. Uh, the most ideal scenario would be uh, solar energy um, non-consumptive. So, so then, when you make a decision or do an action, you're always trying to say, "Well, is is there a way that we can do this? You know, the ideal have solar non-consumptive rather than fossil fuel consumptive, right? So, when things like uh, you know feeding cattle or whatever raising livestock uh the the least amount of fossil fuel energy used is is uh, is the what the, the best choice and so then then you make a decision or uh, an action that will take you in that direction and of course uh, having cattle you know harvesting grass year-round is and using no fossil fuels that's ideal and it that can be done in a lot of regions and unfortunately some areas there are the winter is uh with a snow cover and whatnot, it's, it becomes a little more difficult, but it's still done. We still have bison out there grazing in the, in the, in the wintertime uh, year round. Can, uh, so that, you know, they're, um, so it's possible. So yes. So that's another example of how the, the model is used to take us in this 
regenerative agricultural uh, model. Yeah, beautiful. So if we move on to number six, we are talking back again about soil, aren't we? Enhance the rhizosphere. Yes, because uh, number six, enhanced rhizosphere, this is something that has really been overlooked for a long time. And uh, there's been some tremendous, a, a lot of research over the last decade into this very subject. Of course, it goes back um, to the work of uh, William Albrecht when he uh, his job was to set out to find a nitrogen-fixing bacteria uh, and uh, for legumes plants. And in so doing, um, he identified some really uh, good uh, microbes that would do this. And when he replicated his trials, he, he, uh, he, in, in different sites, he couldn't get the same results. And so when he started to study it, uh, he, he uh, realized that this, the chemistry was different in uh, in these this, these other sites. So uh, he started to adjust the chemistry, and all and then all of a sudden the biology took off. So when they and now when they when they study this further, they the science the science finds that 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 uh, there's the rhizospheres the the the, um, the area around the root zone. When you enhance that uh, rhizosphere, you get a, a a, a, a tremendous population of uh, microbi microorganisms and they're actually f uh, fixing taking nutrients from the atmosphere and or the the soil and making them available to the plants and and when you look at like on at the roots of some of these uh, plants that are uh, that have an active rhizosphere they they're very uh, they uh, they look like uh, locks of like uh, dreadlocks and type so you got a Tremendous. That's an indicate. Like soil particles are attached to these uh, colonies around the roots, so that's that's your your rhizosphere the, around the root zone. And so there. So if we can focus on that and try to enhance that, then we're going to get uh, a lot of um, uh, nutrient availability for for the plants. So this is something that's really exciting. Yeah. So essentially, we're looking beyond the mineral composition of the soil and we're looking at the actual life within the soil at this point. And there are the interactions between the soil life, the bacteria um, that are interacting with the plants and essentially taking the role of feeding the plants or enhancing how the plant is fed and receiving um, nutrition. That's exactly right. So then therefore and and so a lot of our soils have a lot of minerals in them it's just that they some of them aren't available and the the reasons they're unavailable is one is because the chemistry is not right and number two the biology is not right which in turn the physics the physical structure is not right for air and water to be in in the soil because you have an ideal soil would have 25 percent air and 25 percent water and 45 percent minerals and five percent uh, carbon or organic matter that's an ideal soil but if you if the so if the chemistry's off that goes back to the mineral balancing the soil and once you get the chemistry right the uh, uh then the biology is is very active and the reason the biology is very active is because the physical structure of the soil is actually changed because of the chemistry and um, so you've got lots of room for air and water in a right environment for my, microbiology to to uh, flourish, then you really start seeing lots of exciting things happening because 
minerals that are uh, unavailable in the soil become available and to the plant. And then the plant, of course, um, needs a balance of all these minerals uh, to be healthy and uh, nutrient dense. So rhizome enhancement is really exciting and, and something that we should really focus yeah, so we're, um, you're, you're kind of building up an ecosystem under the earth as well. This is um, alive and it's, I'm, I'm guessing this is um, a bit of a guess, but that the diversity of that ecosystem is again adding value. Absolutely, because remember the ecosystem blocks, the more you add, the more diversity. That's why I don't like to limit when, you, when, I, when I say uh, step number four, create a diverse um, ecosystem. I'm referring to everything like that's microbiology, macrobiology. We can actually have like even if you had livestock on top of the soil and top of the ground eating your plants, uh, a healthy ecosystem below the ground has got way more uh, by weight by far than on top of the ground. It's 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 unbelievable like how much biology can uh, be in our soil. And so when you see this happening, uh, you say this is really exciting to see. Um, health rises of severe happening, nitrogen fixing nodules on the root systems of your leguminous plants, converting um, uh, atmospheric nitrogen into the soil. And uh, this rises sphere, this unbelievable uh, diversity of, uh, of, of micro bacteria, fungi, protozoa, nematodes, all working in harmony to uh, break down these uh, minerals and, and make them available. So it's, that's really exciting. And and that's the exciting part of regenerative agriculture. And uh, there's other things that we'll see further down that are really exciting too. But that rhizosphere is one that's really exciting and very beneficial. And that's the one that we should be really, one of the ones that we should really highlight. So this one, is it right to think that this is ultimately why regenerative agriculture is regenerative? Because you are providing an ecosystem that's expanding and becoming more resilient every year. And it's that that's taking the role of feeding the plants. So in, instead of inputting nitrogen, you have this diverse amount of microorganisms that are becoming essentially the plant food. Yes, exactly. The, these, this diversity of microorganisms is really, it's really where it's at. And microorganisms are what makes everything tick. And that's why in a uh, non-brittle environment, the microbial activity can take place ab above the surface of the soil. And um, because it's really humid and, and warm and warm and damp, but in the drier places where there's no rain, like in the, where there's conducive to grasslands, uh, the microbiology can't happen uh, on, on on to, uh, to break down that cellul plant cellulose materials. That's why the rumen becomes so important. So we're always talking about microbiology here. And uh, with the regenerative agriculture, that's where it's at, microbiology. Fantastic. Um, okay, so number seven, build and maintain ground cover. This is important because if we have bare ground, uh, and the reason is it's something that we should always let's the, these steps are put in place to, so we don't lose sight of these things and to make sure we try to incorporate them into our farming practices or agriculture practice so if you have bare ground then you haven't got photocells and you're not converting sun's energy so it's really important to make sure 
that you uh, build that ground cover and maintain that ground cover. Also, when you have ground that is covered and not bare, uh, it's not susceptible to wind and water erosion. And so um, you just have to make sure you build that and maintain it. That's why I'm so fond of perennial forages because, uh, you know, even trees and shrubs, because once you build them um, and maintain them, you have a, you don't have bare ground and you've got a lot of ground cover. And, and so every, your ecosystem blocks are going to function better. Yeah. So they're there year on year. Um, so they're playing a bit of a mixed role, essentially. They are protecting the soil, but also converting the energy. Yeah, it's a con- energy conversion and, and protecting the soil. It's, it's, uh, that's the two main points, I think. And uh, uh, building, maintain ground cover species that would stay there for long periods of time and, 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 and do well in that ecosystem and that in for that region of the earth or the world or whatever. So the specific species are going to be dependent upon where you're located, but ultimately you're making sure that the ground is always covered and establishing that ground cover is, um, it's going to be something that's important regardless of where in the world you are. Exactly. Yeah, uh, solar converters and uh, and uh, holding the soil in place from preventing wind and wind and uh, water erosion. So we we're starting to really understand the value of the soil as we go through these. We're seeing that um, the health of the soil, the life within the soil, is all incredibly important. So these next two steps, seven and eight, um, sorry, eight and nine, they're um, they're they're working upon this, this value of the soil. So number eight, we've got minimal soil disturbance. Yes, uh, minimal soil disturbances, um, ideally they if, uh, would be that long-term perennial uh, diversity of uh, species, uh, plant species. But if you're gonna uh, grow some annual crops, for instance, for uh, annual cropping, then you would want to make sure that you've uh, if you were going to do any type of uh, soil disturbance, like tillage or whatever, that would be very, um, very minimal. You might till your soil maybe uh, two to three inches, just very shallow for two reasons. One is to incorporate uh, plant biomass to feed the microbiological uh, community uh, rapidly. And, and so if we're going to grow an annual crop, then they could uh, help help build the soil and, and, and one way of doing, doing to, re, to build soil is to do um, grow a crop and then incorporate it into the soil to feed the microbiology. Uh, I think some people call it green manuring. And so that's a way to feed the microbiology and incorporate some of this and to get your nutrition up in your, for your, to, to grow this annual crop that, you want to, that you're going to grow. And another reason to do it minimal is because you don't want to disturb that, um, the microbiological community that's that's developed that soil and so and and uh, usually the microbiological community in, in in our in our soils in our region is in that top six inches because that that's where the where they can get access to air and water okay so if you come through with a really deep plow the sort of standard plow you're going to essentially disturb the work that you've done yes exactly uh that uh, the microbiological community that you've created, it's going to set it back significantly if you if you go down where they're living and they live in that top six inches, 
that's uh, that that's where the most of them, there's there's many different species of microbiology microbiological organisms uh, down deeper but my my understanding uh is the the majority of them are up in that top surface essentially where a, a, a fence post would rot the why it's rotting is because the microbiology is working and so that zone you don't want to disturb that zone too much deep tillage or something or plowing or something is uh, you've really set it back is what you're doing and so how long to get it back again depends on on the mother steps that you do okay and then if we move to number nine um sequester carbon tell us about how that can be benefited or how it benefits the farming practices well it's when i seen that uh that's that site when uh, at my uh one of my clients showed me where the old fence line was um and they it was off the property line so they they were going to move the fence over about uh, three meters and so taking the old fence out and of course that old fence was that was that was the the borderline between the one farm and the other farm for maybe uh 80 to 100 years and or maybe i'm guessing but it's not that long it hasn't been farmed that long but um anyways um 60 to 80 years for sure and then they 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 cultivated the or they tilled the soil on both sides of the property line and there was this just this black strip down the middle of it uh where the where the old fence line was of course that that had never been tilled and that was the original uh, kind of prairie type soil and to see on one side of the uh, the line the soil was actually white uh just very white colored and on the other side of the property line where it was mostly pasture because it was just a narrow little strip it wasn't really intensively farmed that much and it was kind of gray so it was an indication that uh, the carbon is gone and missing it's been harvested out and of course we see that on our on our uh, statistics on our on our prairie soils in in Canada and the US that the uh, you know then since they started farming the the prairie soils that the uh, the carbon levels have been uh, dropping 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 uh, they were you know five or six percent to start and now they're down to one one and two percent um, so the carbon is being mined out of the soil and of course the great gold in the soil is carbon and uh without with that the carbon is what um this makes the soil nutrients happen uh soil microbiology happen uh, it's like the football field for all uh, all the microbiology microbiology and everything to function and happen on and so when you deplete that and of course and it's tremendous amount of water holding capacity and so and and, and it's it's the basis of your soil structure and uh, everything so if you've got no carbon in your soil, like ideally you need 5%. Uh, if you haven't got no carbon in your soil, if you've got low numbers of carbon levels, then uh, your whole system is, is in jeopardy. So we have to uh, enhance that uh, uh, carbon. And so the, and the way to do that is to capture carbon from the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. And the way to do that is through... Uh, plant material, photosynthesizing uh, sun's energy, uh, and the plant makes uh, carbohydrates and they put them back into, into the soil through the plant exudates uh, that are going into the soil. So it's actually, I always say like the um, maple tree, um, 
when we tap in Canada the maple tree to get the maple syrup that we were so famous for, that uh, they're uh, tapping into that. Uh, they're, so they're they're stealing some of the carbon that's supposed to go down into the soil. It's uh, that's that's tremendous uh, carbon production. And so if we have green plant material um, photosynthesizing sun's energy, we're creating carbons as sink and it's, it's ending up into our soil. And so uh, through the plant exudates. So the the more plant cover we have the, uh, and the longer we're growing it, uh, from as soon as the sun starts shining and the ground saws out here, if we're growing plant material, converting sun's energy, we're, we're sinking carbon and, and into the soil. And uh, so the point then is to um, make sure that we do all those other things, the mother steps we just talked about, and if we got perennial grasslands and shrubs and trees and whatnot that are sinking carbon um, into the soil uh, throughout the whole growing season, that's from the time it warms up till the time it starts getting cold again in our area. And I've seen it where we, where we can reverse that white soil and start turning it back to gray and then eventually back to black and uh, dark soil. And that's, so that's what we want to do. And so number 10 is uh, the monitoring and whatnot and testing and monitoring so we can see where these carbon levels are increasing and and through regenerative agriculture uh we can replenish and sink the uh, the carbon that's in the atmosphere so it's it's a great regenerative agriculture is actually i think the uh, the main tool we have to uh, sequester our carbon uh, that excess carbon that's in our atmosphere yeah, which is going to be compounded by the fact that if you're regeneratively farming, then you are putting carbon into the soil as you produce the food. Whereas if you are not doing that and you're doing the standardized system of farming, that's doing the opposite. That is putting the carbon into the atmosphere or into um, it's depleting the soil, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. And uh there's a couple other things that does too in the, with the application of like fertilizers and stuff. It, it, it produces uh, nitrous oxide gases and that's one of the contributing uh, effects for climate change too. And so a whole bunch of other things come into play, but one of the main ones is carbon, carbon sink. Uh, regenerative agriculture is the huge, one of the greatest tools that we have to sink that carbon back, put it back into the ground where, where it belongs. So pretty much all of the steps or almost all of the steps that we've gone through already, they are contributing to the capture of carbon. Exactly. Yeah, it's all leading up to that. And then number 10, you're monitoring and you're testing. So you can actually um, quantify that what the work is, um, it's being successful in this um, approach. It's putting the carbon back there. You can see that. Yes, and 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 uh, step number ten, like monitoring and testing and measuring, one uh, benefit is to monitor and test and monitor that carbon level. There again, it's it's very general. You can test and monitor and measure everything on the farm. We we try to measure and monitor everything, uh, so it's very important to like soil testing and plant tissue or plant sap analysis, measuring to see where you're at. Um, uh, monitoring your bank account. I mean, it's just, it just goes and goes and goes. So it's very important to, uh, that's why I put it there because um, you have to uh, test, measure and monitor 
and and basically that's part of the uh, holistic management model that uh, Alan Savory developed was the one of the last parts of the model is to uh, is, is to uh, monitor and and uh, test and monitor and plan and and monitor and then if the plan goes off replan and so it's a circle so you you plan and then you assume you're wrong and then you monitor it and if it's plan if the plan starts to deviate then you replan and uh, and and uh, implement your new plan so it's a circle it's a that's one of the that's part of the testing of the holistic model is that is that circle so that's why it's very that's why i i think it's really important to make sure that we monitor by and uh, and do testing and measuring to enable to monitor what's going on in the soil in the plants in the animals in our lives and uh, so it's just part of it so the holistic approach as we've mentioned it's more complicated to get your mind around but essentially it's offering this continual evolution and potential for growth because you're always looking back you're checking in you're improving you're monitoring you're improving again um so even if we spoke about this in five years' time, you would probably be um, saying, yeah, we've continued to expand, we've continued to develop, and we've got more to teach you. Um, that's one thing, I, that's one thing I, um, I've learned is we, we're learning something new every day. And, uh, and if we want to learn something, we re read an old book. Uh, so we, we, we pay attention to that one. It is very important to, uh, to test and measure and monitor. Um, we're getting towards the last ones now. We've got climate rehabilitation. This seems like it's, um, you know, it, we've, we've talked about building diversity and ecosystems. We've talked about supporting the climate by sequestering carbon. Um, can you expand on that one at all? Is there um, any more to add? Well, um, I think there's many factors that are affect. Uh, personally, we see climate change happening uh, on our farm, and in our uh, and so we we have to deal with that every every year. We see something uh, changing, and um, and not necessarily not necessarily to the good. It's usually to the detriment of what's happening on our in our ecosystem. There's many things that can are contributing to climate change. Um, of course, excess carbon release is one, but um, I think. Uh, some of the other ones that regenerative agriculture addresses is the um, ground cover and the it cools the it, it's it's got a cooling effect on the uh, atmosphere um, and um, the sun's you know the sun's uh, just bouncing off bare ground and heating this surface of this uh, of the earth. So if you got plant material and if you got a thick diversity system, it's going to create a cooling effect. And of course, that goes. Well, we could start talking about the oceans too, but uh, just dealing with the land. But uh, so, climate rehabilitation. Um, I think regenerative agriculture, with all those steps, helps in the uh, to address and rehabilitate our climate. So, uh, just the whole model, uh, the different models that are put in place in in order to re do regenerative agriculture. The way we grow crops, the way we grow. Uh, livestock uh, and the models different models uh, they they're going to all have a beneficial effect to the climate uh, rehabilitation 
So we um, we often think about climate change as the the big whole planetary system, but there's microclimates too, which um, I suppose we can see. We we can actually um, we can bypass a field that's been ploughed, and it's look it's almost like a desert. It's just this dry, bare ground. Or then we could sort of look at a photo or an image of something where it's been farmed regeneratively and we see lush vegetation and we see green and we see plant cover. And it's quite clear from that stark contrast that we don't have to look up to the atmosphere and measure the gas up there to see that the way we farm can contribute to the impact of the climate. We can see, like you've mentioned, temperature. We've got the microclimate temperature. It's going to have an effect on the moisture and the water cycles. So I think people can um, look to regenerative agriculture to see with their own eyes, to connect them to the impact that, you know, this this black and white difference between um, regenerating and then depleting, um, which I think we see too much of. We see this farming practice that is, as you've, you've literally called it, mining the carbon out of the soil. And it's just tipping that all on its head. And instead of agriculture being this biggest contributor to climate damage or one of the biggest contributors, it actually becomes one of the biggest solutions. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's, I think that you just uh, said the, the absolute uh, hit the, the uh, nail on the head with the hammer, so to speak. And, and um, there's been studies of this too. It's just, but I'm a firm believer that we can turn, uh, we can help re- Re- rehabilitate our climate with regenerative agriculture it's 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 very doable it's just we, we just need to have i guess that's why i'm talking to you today it's it's i think connecting that that solution and that knowledge and that awareness um with as many people as possible um yeah yeah and I, that's just i'm just you know i i'm a farmer I just, that's where i'm coming from this is what our whole life has been doing is farming and and trying to figure out how to create a better ecosystem in in order for us to uh, make a make a living and to, for the next generation to make a living and on, on off the land and that's that's kind of why we're talking about it here today is to, to try to teach people what it means to us as farmers uh, what regenerative agriculture has meant to us and how we got there so to speak yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, perhaps overwhelmingly the success of it, because you're talking about a system that has actually saved you from um, another catastrophe or a failure within a business practice. It has taken you into um, something that, you know, you are so successful as a farmer now that you're teaching other people. And that's a very different story to your experience with doing it the old way or the modern way that's true that is very true yes since we started on this journey of regenerative agriculture and uh, the 11 steps that we've talked about we feel very successful at what we've done that's why i'm sharing these 12 steps because i want others to be successful and particularly uh the younger people that are starting out and so I, I, I really enjoy working with young, uh, young uh, agrarians and getting them, passing on some of this knowledge to, so they, uh, they overcome some of the problems before they exist. 
that's kind of the 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 last one that I can think of. On it's number twelve, and we haven't talked about it yet. Yeah, yeah, it's brought us completely directly to it. So this is what you mean by number twelve: building the health and vitality for the agrarian community. This is educating, sharing your knowledge. Um, is is that what you mean by that? Yes, it's uh, that is it. It's it's uh, uh, creating an environment for. Uh, the next generation or the farmers that are there, but also mainly for the next generation, because it's, it's really, really difficult in our area uh, and, and lots of areas around the world that for the next generation to get involved in agriculture. I say we have to uh, enhance a system to, to, for the next generation or the young, young farmers to become part of it, become, become farmers. So regenerative agriculture, I think, is one of the main uh, models to, that will in, enable our younger farmers or the next generation farmers to get um, to come into agriculture because it's really, really difficult with this, uh, this industrial, industrialized model we have. We see our farmers disappearing. Uh, in my career, we've seen uh, like our farm size went from uh, in our area, like uh, 640 acres, maybe now we're into it's, it's like 10, 15,000 acres of, of land that people are farming to, to make a living. Or, and so that's placed uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of farmers. And of course, uh, that model uh, doesn't allow for new farmers. So, this, so, so we have to create a, a, a system where we have to have communities of, um, like I said, uh, um, health and vit vitality for agrarian communities. I'm, I may be from the old school, but the communities that I grew up in uh, were more of the traditional agricultural practices. We had smaller uh, villages and that, we, that we, we, we sold our products into. Um, there are our meat and our eggs and milk and dairy products and and so we did all that when I was when I was growing up on the farm, and uh, and 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 most most all the farms did the similar things. Uh, they had the cream cans that we you know haul the uh, once a week take the cream into town, and and that was the the money for the buying the groceries or whatever from the that we needed in town. So it was and so that built community. Uh, you know all the uh, little the. The village that I grew up had, they were just going out, but they had flour mills and they had dairies, local dairies, had local meat processing facilities. And um, now we don't have that and we lack our communities. So we have to create these uh, communities again, recreate these communities, and we have to build health and, and vitality in these agrarian communities. So communities that have diversity in agricultural and, and feeding the, the local people and, and having the infrastructure uh, in place that would allow for this, like the processing, the mills and the, the abattoirs and, and the sausage makers and, uh, uh, you know, the candlestick makers. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's taking, um, in a lot of ways, it's taking things backwards towards a vision um, that is 
it is more holistic in, in that whole form of you're going to reduce transportation, you're going to dr- reduce food waste, you're going to get the food to table quicker. So you've got greater nutritional value um, right there in people's hands. And then also you've got the that feeling of community, which I think we can't put a price on because you are supporting one another and you're building up something that goes far beyond um, the science of actually farming. You're, you're introducing something um, something that completes the picture. And um, have, you, have you found that people are open and willing to take this type of direction or is this um, going to be something that we are needing to get people on board with and start developing? Well, it's, it's uh, pleasantly surprising uh, that like 20 years ago um we it was just like none of this stuff was talked about and since the over the last 10 years um people are do, are, are doing some of these things to, like our daughter came and she she came um to the farm and and, and started a, a csa and started supplying the local village or the local uh, town with uh vegetables and she was she had about 70 families that she was providing fresh vegetables to for the growing season and also into the winter months and now she's has gotten married and her and her husband had built their own farm and they they're they're doing the same thing and they're they're uh, producing uh nutrient-dense food uh they're practicing uh, all of these uh, things these steps that we've talked about and uh, they're developing uh, building community around that farm they call it the homestead and so they're they're feeding fa- uh, families that are in this in the city that they've got a they've got a city about a, an hour away from their farm so they're they're building this community and that's that's what we need that's what i mean by vitality uh for an agrarian community that agrarian community it's, it's, it's it goes beyond the farm it goes to the to the people that are consuming these these products so it's it's the people that live in these villages and these towns and and cities that that are part of this agrarian community now and so this is what we have to build and this is what we have to um develop and and once you start building this communities and uh, all of this is part and parcel to the regenerative agriculture without these communities regenerative agriculture is it, it will be uh, will be difficult to achieve and so that's why I think it's number twelve is 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 the without number twelve you you won't have none of the rest. So in a lot of ways, this is about our ecosystem as humans, as communities and society, how we can each be a part of the whole ecosystem, um, and that that puts it into everybody's hands, doesn't it? It makes it relevant. What we're talking about today is hugely valuable to farmers who are looking to get into regenerative practices but it's actually relevant to everybody Um, as I started out at the beginning it's us as purchasers um, and people that eat food which as far as I'm aware is most of us um, we we are all part of the solution we're all um, we need to get engaged with that and start to realize perhaps a little more where our food comes from exactly this is this is my uh that's what I envision and what it would take. And that's what it, that's exactly what it has to be. Everybody has to get on board and, and feel part of it and, and realize it. And so that's where it comes to educating, educating, educating. So what, 
what you're doing right now and what I'm doing right now is so important to people to to get this message out there that we have to build these uh, agrarian communities and uh, we're all part we're, the consumers are just as much part and parcel of that as the farmer out there that's growing the crop and so that's why I started writing down these different steps uh, some sort of a, something to get get off the treadmill and and get off the industrialized agriculture model and 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 tries and get something different get off the uh, dependency of of uh, inputs inputs and all them five i mentioned the, the chemicals fertilizers and the f fuels and the machinery and the money to do all that stuff we have to get off that uh, that treadmill or that dependency and uh, create a, a different system a regenerative agricultural uh, system that becomes um, less dependent on on uh, support systems and, and less take you know less risky it is and the more build the ecosystem, build the um, soil, build the nutrient density in our food and, and community, and and uh, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's number twelve. <laughs> that's fantastic, and I think that your daughter taking it up, taking your education and your lead, and starting her own farm, I think that's a huge testament that what you're doing works, and um, you're doing a fantastic job with it all. Yeah, yeah. That it's and um, there's another group uh, that started up about five years ago or six or seven maybe uh, the young agrarians and there's probably other groups around but I that's really exciting to see that uh, the the they've they've got a, a bit of a an organization and uh, it's a it's a growing uh, organization part of the the getting the message out there so. Um, uh, and they, 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 they've got a, um, an internship program where young people or people that are interested to learn some of these steps come and, and, and participate and learn. And so uh, that's exciting. Yeah, fantastic. We'll, um, we'll pop some links then to, to their group. So if anybody is looking to learn more, um, that's a really good one that they can be pointed to. And then anything else that you can recommend, we'll, we'll discuss that and we'll include it also. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us. I feel um, it's so valuable what you're sharing. And it's not just um, to put out the actual principles, but to speak with you and to see the, your enthusiasm and how how these practices have transformed the way that you farm and you've, you've made a success of it. I think that that really speaks volumes. Yes. Well, thank you. And thank you for... Uh, uh, the job that you're doing because i think that's uh what you're doing is so important and and that's something that i i'm i'm not that good at doing so but so what you're doing is is really appreciated and i hope you carry on and keep doing what you're doing and get the message out there and and if there's something further like we want to uh go into deeper deeper in some of these things that you know down the road we're, i'm more than willing to sh share some of my uh because we, we've just we've touched on these things but so if there's something else down the road, um, don't don't hesitate to get in touch with me and we'll explore some of them. But fantastic, thank you. It's um yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure and it's really generous of you and I really do appreciate it. It's been wonderful to speak with you. Yeah, and uh, if you ever ever are, we just stop by for a farm tour. That would be fantastic. Thank you.
And thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Carbon. Next time, we'll be joined by Adrian Ferrero, CEO of Biomakers. We're extending our understanding of soil microbes further and exploring the value of true data and analysis of these communities as a tool for moving things forward in our transition to a more regenerative world. You can keep up to date with everything from We Are Carbon by subscribing on the website or following along on Instagram. Search for wearecarbon.earth. And let's keep figuring this all out together. <laughs>